0: All right, and we're going to turn in our Bibles today to the book of Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. We're going to be looking together at verses 1 through 13 this morning. Exodus 12, verses 1 through 13. We're going to talk about the door of the Passover today as we... Um, as we take time to celebrate communion together as a as a fellowship, Exodus 12, 1 through 13. As as you're turning there, um, I, I'm reminded of a story of an older gentleman. We're gonna say that he was he was the wise age of, of 83 years old, and and, and he decided that uh, he decided that he wanted to do something dangerous. He he wanted to buy himself a Harley, and so he went. And he got him a, he got him a motorcycle, a brand new motorcycle, and he wants to take it out on the open road. And, he wants to live, uh, live life by, you know, by the, by the threads. So, so, so he, uh, he goes without a helmet on the interstate. And, and from zero to 60, it happens in seconds. He, he gets that fast. Well, well, then he creeps on up, and he gets to 70 miles per hour, 80 miles per hour, and he's really feeling dangerous. And so he gets all the way up to 100 miles per hour on this brand-new Harley, he's just flying down the interstate. Well, he's having a good time, the time of his life. When he looks into, uh, into his mirrors... And he notices behind him the blue light special. And, and the police are coming after him. And he got to thinking to himself, you know, he said, he said I, well, I'm 83 years old. I, I, I'm got, you only live once. And so he just, he puts the pedal to the metal. I mean, like, he, he goes faster. He gets up to 125 miles per hour. And this old man is, is in a high-speed chase uh, with a state, state patrolman. Well, well, he gets, uh, he gets a few more seconds down the road, and he gets to thinking. The conviction starts to settle in, and, and, he, and he goes, I, I really don't want to go to jail today. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a public figure, and if I, if I go to jail, people around town, they're going to see my face in the paper. They're, they're not going to like that much at all. And so, so he pulls over. Well, the police officer gets out of his vehicle. He comes to the older gentleman, and he says to him, Look, mister. My shift is over in 15 minutes. The weekend is upon us. It's Friday. I got, I got Saturday and Sunday off, and I've got plans. If you can give me a good reason for you speeding like that, and, and, and I'm serious, I, I've got to hear an excuse that I've never heard before, but if you can do that, I will let you go free of charge. Well, the old man stops, and he thinks for a moment, and he looks at the officer, and he says, Many years ago my wife left me for a state trooper. I thought you were bringing her back to me. (laughs) The police officer tips his hat to him and he says, have a good day, sir, and off he goes. You know, (laughs) some people are are pretty good at, at talking their ways out of trouble, aren't they? you know uh i i'm i'm not i'm not so good at it you, you think about you know going through school and, and being a child with your parents and things like that yeah i, I that, my mom my mom she she might have been pretty easy to get by but she would always say like like if, it, if i was in trouble and she she didn't want to handle it she would often say you just wait till your father gets home and uh she never forgot that. <laughs> she, she, she always made sure to remind him and, in school. And you know, when, I, when I would get in trouble in school, I didn't get in trouble a lot. But when I did, it seemed like, like the teacher would always give me that speech about, I expect more from you. And then the punishment, you know, for me would be greater than someone else who got in trouble. But, but it's, it's times, it's nice, you know, to be passed over, to escape punishment, to escape uh, judgment, I guess. Spiritually thinking, I am very thankful. Actually, I, I'm eternally thankful that, 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 that God, my Savior, Jesus Christ, God passed over me in judgment. And instead, he placed my judgment upon his son. And, and, and he gave his life for me. Christ took all my sins upon himself so, so that I could live. God passed over us in judgment. And he judged his son on our behalf. And instead of us going to hell, we get to go to heaven. Instead of us experiencing condemnation, we get to be a part of his family. Instead of us being slaves, we get to be children of God. And that should bring joy to our heart today. That should bring praise to our hearts today. We're in a series right now, in the middle of a series of messages called The Door. And uh, over the last few weeks we we've we've talked about sin crouching at the door with Cain and Abel. Last week we talked about the door of refuge, talking about Noah and and the ark and and in a few weeks from now we're going to study about the temple's inner doors that go into the holy of holies and we we we're, we're, we're going to talk about uh the shepherd the sheep's door and the tomb door and the the, the narrow door and then we're going to end out by talking about the mission door. Uh but today today I want us to look at the door of the Passover here in Exodus chapter 12 and how that, how that fits so well uh, with, with communion today. Now, as always, I, I want, to, uh, I want to, to do a thorough job of keeping things in context, keeping things in perspective, and reminding us today of where we are in the Bible. So a few hundred years before uh, Exodus 12 happens, back in the days of Jacob, uh, Jacob had had sons, 12 sons, and, and Joseph being one of those sons... Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. And Joseph ended up in the land of Egypt. And, uh, and, and at first, you know, they meant harm, but God turned it around and made it a really good thing. And Joseph became a, a king there uh, in, in Egypt, a well-respected man. Actually, Pharaoh was the only one who was, who was greater, I guess, than, than Joseph. Uh, but, but there came a time where Joseph met with his family again. Joseph met with Jacob and his sons. And there's about 70 people that belong to Jacob's family. And, and God, in his grace, allowed uh, uh, Joseph uh, to, to extend uh, a welcome to Jacob, his family, into the land of Egypt. And that's how, that's how the Hebrew people ended up in Egypt. Well, there's about 70 people or so in Jacob's family. And over, over a period of 370 years, that group of 70 people populated into 2 million people or more. And as they grew in population, the Hebrew people grew in power, okay? And, and, and Pharaoh, where we are in Exodus chapter 1, it says that they, that they increased abundantly, they grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with Hebrew people, and, and Pharaoh didn't like it. Now, Pharaoh didn't know who Joseph was. Remember, we're 370 years down the road Pharaoh was not very fond of the fact that the Hebrew people were, were outnumbering or greater, I guess, than the Egyptian people. And so he comes up with this plan. His plan was to enslave the Hebrews and to exterminate the Hebrews. So, so he decides that he wants to uh, completely eliminate the, 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 the firstborn males or, or the newborn males. I'm sorry. And, and, and he, he would do that through throwing these babies into the Nile. Now, that's called selective annihilation. And God sees all this happening. And in God's heart and in God's plan, he was not any longer going to allow such pain and persecution to happen to his special people. So, so God desires to deliver them from their bondage. And, and, and he does that. He does that uh, through, through a servant, Moses. Now, You've heard of Moses. Moses was once a prince in Egypt. He served in Pharaoh's house, but then Moses became a runaway fugitive because he killed an Egyptian. And then Moses, of course, he hears from God, and God tells him, I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to talk to Pharaoh and speak to him and through my word and say, let my people go. Pharaoh, you've had them too long. It's time for them to be set free. And so Moses goes in the name of the Lord, in the name of Yahweh. He goes and he tells, he tells Pharaoh to let God's people go. And, and time and time again throughout the scripture, time and time again, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He says no to the will of God. Uh, he won't listen. He won't believe. He doesn't repent. He doesn't allow the exodus to happen. And, and so God goes a bit further and he says, Moses, if he's not going to listen to my word, then, then he's gonna, I'm, I'm going to get his attention. I'm going to get all the Egyptians' attention too. And so God uses Moses to bring about these plagues. In the Hebrew, uh, the word plague means torment. It means torture. It can also mean a response. And so God responds to their unbelief by sending all of these terrible plagues to hit the land. And so up to this point in chapter 12, 9 hit. There, he, he has the plague that turns water into blood, and, and then there's a plague of frogs and a plague of lice, a plague of flies, the livestock in the area. They were diseased, and of course, they died. That means they can't eat. He, he sends hail to destroy their crops. He sends locusts, and, and then he sends a plague of darkness. And, and every plague has a meaning. Every plague has a message. And sometimes I think we see the plagues and we're like, oh man, God was really bringing down judgment on these people. It was more, there's way more to it than that. Okay, God sent the plagues to remind people who was in charge. God sent the plagues to denounce Pharaoh's sin and, and his people's sin. God sent the plagues to distinguish the Hebrew people from the rest of the world. And, and then even more so, God sent the plagues to get the Israelites' attention. to to develop and deepen their faith in God. And and so there's more to plagues than than making life hard on Pharaoh. As a matter of fact, through these events, God was preparing a great work and a great people to get out of that land and enter into the land of promise. But to do this, though, to escape Egyptian bondage, the people of God were going to have to have faith in God. And they were going to have to have courage, and they were going to have to believe God's word, and they were going to have to believe in what the Lord was doing. This was a process. This was a work of God. The Exodus doesn't happen without serious examination, and God's people were being tested in the fire. They were being tested through the judgment. And the question is, would they believe in God? Would they trust in Yahweh? Well, here we are in Exodus chapter 12, and a 10th plague is about to come. And this is the plague of death, the death of the firstborn. And God is about to do something that we have never seen before. He is going to institute the foundation for a relationship with him. And here's the thing about it. For that to happen, for a relationship to happen between God and his people, innocent life was going to have to be lost. Blood was going to have to be shed. An innocent victim was going to have to give their life for their salvation, for their rescue for their freedom. Now that sets the tone for Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. So I'll ask you if you would to stand as we give reverence to the Word of God, and I'm going to share with you this morning some eternal blessings that come from the Passover door. I hope that you'll see this text in a new light today. Exodus 12, starting in verse one. It says, "Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying. This month shall be your beginning of months. I'm going to do a new thing, is what the Lord's saying. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for the lamb." Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood... And put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. And then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt you may be seeing it four, four benefits, four blessings, eternal blessings that come from the Passover door. The first one is this, first one is this: we see rescue, the, the blessing of rescue. Now now there is a premises to this point. You've got to look a bit further than Exodus 12. Actually, you've got to go backwards to understand where I get this theme of rescue. in Exodus chapter six. Moses goes before Pharaoh, and he and he and he pleads with Pharaoh to to let God's people go. That's a command to let God's people go. And, and Pharaoh's heart, of course, is hardened to that. And, and, and in response, Pharaoh decides that he wants to make the punishment a bit harder on, on God's people. And so and so, people are 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 the the, the work is intensified. The beatings are worse. Uh, things got worse for the people, and, and so they got, uh, they got angry with, with Moses. They also rejected uh, Moses' message. And in Exodus chapter 6, verses 5 through 6, God has kind of given Moses a pick-me-up. He, he's encouraging him here. And God says, I've heard the groanings of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And he says, I've remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. In so many words, God says, I will rescue you. I I see your condition. I hear your cries. I'm your deliverer. I'm your savior. There is a premises for the rescue, a foundation for the rescue. They're in bondage. The Hebrews were in bondage. The Hebrew word for bondage means slavery. And slavery means that I'm subject to a master who has control or authority over my life, and, and I have to do what he says. And I'll be honest with you, in the Bible, sometimes masters and slaves, they had a great relationship. If you look in Paul's letters in Ephesians and Colossians and, and, and in the epistle to Timothy, you know, there, there, was a, there was an understanding relationship between the slave and the master. But in this case, slavery was a terrible thing. And I believe it's wrong. I believe it's sinful, you know, for a person to be treated as an object for selfish gain. I'm not for it. And here in Exodus, these Hebrews, they were in torment day and night. They were slaves. And in the hands of the Egyptians, God's children were being hurt. They were being abused. They were being neglected. They were being killed. They needed to be rescued from their circumstances but they needed to be rescued from their condemnation. Now, now, notice something about the plague that God is going to send here in Exodus 12. It's going to impact all of Egypt. Right? God wasn't just going to bring judgment on Egypt. But judgment could also come to some of the Hebrews if they did not heed to the instruction of God's word. In verses 12 through 13... I want you to take a look. It says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you or to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. It is a biblical fact, folks, that some of the Hebrew people would not listen to God's word. They would not honor God's command. We see that in Exodus 6, verse 9. But it's also true that some of the Hebrew people worshiped Egyptian gods. Some of the Hebrew people were guilty of pagan idolatry. In Joshua 24, Joshua told them to throw away the gods that your ancestors worshipped in Egypt and serve the Lord. So the message that Moses is giving to Pharaoh, but also the land of Egypt, is this judgment's coming, death is coming. That is the promise. That is the premise for the the rescue. Yes, your circumstances are terrible, but folks, your spiritual condemnation, that's greater than your your slave-like circumstances. And and I've got to share with you today, we all all have need of rescue, don't we? we? We all do. We all need a Savior. We, we all need a rescuer. Our, our sin is great. As a matter of fact, in, in Scripture, our sin is an abomination, a horrible thing in the sight of a holy God. Do we understand today and do we really know how costly our sin is to the Lord? When, when you look at Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says that the wages of sin is what? Death. Sin costs life sin takes life. Sin ends life. Now, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I have no doubt in my mind about that. I, I have broken the law of God. I, I've missed the mark many, many times, countless times. I, I, I've missed the standard that, that God has in holiness and righteousness. I realize that. But do you? Now, I don't, I don't proudly say today, I'm a sinner, and I'm positive that if I, that if I asked you to stand up today and, and talk about the ways that you have transgressed or sinned against the Lord this week, nobody would really want to do that, would you? Why is that? Sin is a shameful thing. It's a violation of the Word of God. It, it is a factor of condemnation, and, and because of our sin, we deserve judgment, we don't deserve to be passed over. Because because of our sin, because of our sin, we should expect death. Without a rescuer, our circumstances and our condition is incredibly sorrowful. And if everybody today would be honest with themselves, I'm pretty sure we have all been guilty of doing this, uh, of making light of our sin. It is a big deal, folks. <laughs> It, 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 it dishonors the word of God we at times make light of our sin like we'll say like I've got it under control you know my sin is just a little problem you know I, I, I dibble dabble with lust or I dibble dabble with pornography or I dibble dabble with curse words or I, I dibble dabble with my with my anger oh, and, and, and sometimes we'll even be so bold to say well I enjoy I enjoy being prideful You know, I I enjoy being arrogant. I enjoy indulging in immorality or I enjoy indulging in slander. I I enjoy indulging in perversion. And we'll say, it's no big deal. I've got my sin under control. That is so foolish. We don't have uh, control over our sin. Sin has control over us if we're not in Christ. That's why we desperately need a rescuer. And until we get to that place where We realize that we're all sinful. We're all in need of rescue. We are promised, and it is certain, that death will come. Now, in Exodus, the the sad part about this is that in Exodus, God kept his promise. All the firstborn in the houses who did not heed to God's plan, they died. That's the consequence of a picture of all those who don't believe on him. The wages of sin, this is a universal truth, the wages of sin is death. Now, as I said last Sunday, I understand we, we, we live in a culture that celebrates sin. We live in a culture that accepts sin. We live in a culture that promotes it, justifies it, normalizes it. We, we live in a culture that mocks those who don't live in sin. We may live in that culture, but understand this. God condemns that kind of thinking. God condemns that kind of living. And as believers in Christ... We shouldn't be for it and we shouldn't be in it. And, and, and I think about the word sin. And I, I was studying about, you know, how a, how, a, how a person explained this one day. He was talking to a group of students, a young group of students. And, and the professor said, sin is spelled with three, word, three letters. The letter S stands for serpent, Satan, who, who brought sin into the world. The last letter is the letter N. And the letter N stands for nothing. And, and, he, and he brought out the point that sin leaves us empty. Sin leaves us with nothing worthwhile. But then he said in the middle of the S and the N is the letter I. And the letter I is talking about me. I am sinful. The I is my human nature. I am hopelessly lost. I'm far from God. I'm unrighteous. I I war against God in my sin. And the only safe thing to do with me, to do with the I, is to put it to death. (laughs) To crucify it with Christ so that I no longer live, but Christ would live in me. Sin brings death to me. And we need a rescuer. So we see the premise of our rescue. I want you to see quickly the plan. The plan of our rescue. In God's mercy and in God's grace. He gives the Hebrew people a plan. And we read about that in Hebrews 12, or I'm sorry, Exodus 12, verses 3 through 14. He gives them the Passover. Oh man, the Passover meal, the Passover season is a beautiful picture of what Christ would come to do for us. It is symbolic of the fact that we needed a rescuer. When he talks about roasting the flesh of the lamb and not to boil it, not to eat it raw, notice that he says to cook it with bitter herbs, that is a reminder to the Hebrew people that during the Passover time, that was a very, very bitter time to be enslaved you know, to be under Egyptian bondage, that was a reminder to them where we came from. And I, and I parallel that to, you know, our life without Christ. What a bitter time that is, isn't it? What, what a sorrowful time to live without the Lord. Well then, well, then it goes further. They had to be quick to eat this meal. So they had unleavened bread. Um, that's why they, they roasted the, the lamb so quickly. They had to be ready to go. So, so when, when God called them to leave Egypt, they, they had to pack their things, and they had to get out. It, there was no time to waste. And then, of course, I love the part about the lamb. The lamb was the plan of their rescue. Their rescue would not come. They're being passed over, that would not happen without a lamb being slain. And every family in the Passover would, would take the responsibility of taking a perfectly fine, uh, first year, uh, a yearling, uh, a, a lamb, unblemished, ready for sacrifice, and they would, they would keep it in their house for a couple of weeks, but then they would kill it. And that blood, they would take the blood and they would put it on the doorpost of the house and on the lintel of, uh, of the house or on the door, and God would see that when he passed through. And if God saw the blood, it was a sign, it was a seal, it was a sacrifice on the doors of their home, and God would not judge them to death. It's a powerful way to show us how the blood of the lamb rescued God's people from death, from the destroyer, from eternity, uh, from, 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 uh, from, from entering their homes. I want you to take a look at Exodus 12. Look at 21 through 23. It says, Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. This was God's unique set-apart plan of rescue. A lamb would be killed for their rescue. How, How does this apply, okay, to our lives in Christ? One lamb would be slaughtered per family to save them from God's judgment. And when I think about Christ, Jesus, the Lamb of God, one Lamb, the only one who could die for our sin, one Lamb was slaughtered, sacrificed for our sins, for the sins of the world. In so many words, Christ, the sacrificial Lamb, paid it all for us all. And Jesus, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away, John says, the sins of the world. And folks, the reality, the plan of our rescue, is that if you want to be forgiven, if you want to be free, you have to first be rescued by the blood of Jesus Christ. We overcome, Revelation says, by the blood of the Lamb. I think about 1 Peter 1.19 that says we are saved, we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Hebrews 9 says, we have no forgiveness. We have no remission. We have no deliverance of sin without the blood of Christ. So ponder your rescue today. The second and third benefit that I want you to see this morning are are the blessings of, of release and the blessings of redemption. Release and redemption, they go hand in hand. So go back to Exodus 6, verse 6, and God promises to Israel, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. God says, I will release you from their control. I will release you from their control. And and, and beloved, in Christ, by his blood being shed for us, we today are released from the control of sin and the condemnation that comes with our sin. Isn't that great? You look in Hebrews 12, uh, verse 7, and, and, and it says, And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil of the houses where they eat it. In verse 13... It says, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land. And then in verses 29 through 31, it says, And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captives who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night He and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. You need to understand, God didn't just require a lamb. God required a dead lamb. Chapter 12 is one of the bloodiest chapters in all of Scripture. People don't always respect this, this you know, this part of our doctrine and our faith. A lot of people like, like to think of a clean Jesus on the cross. A lot of people don't like to think about the death of Christ. But you need to understand this today, and we, we all need to be brought to reality of this. Christ died a brutal death for us to be free. He was slain on the cross. His body was mutilated, okay? It is not a pretty picture. It was a gruesome death for us. Do, do we understand the weight of that, the magnitude of that, that someone that was innocent, someone that was sinless, took our sins upon himself and died for our redemption, died for our, our release? I, scripture says that, that that life is found in the blood. And while blood may represent our living The shedding of blood represents dying. Let this be a reminder to you all today as it was to the Hebrews that life was given for their redemption and for their release. Can you imagine being one of the Hebrew people and and, and coming to the doorpost of your house and painting blood on the two sides and over the lintel of the house? Can you imagine doing that? Innocent life, even if it was a lamb, Innocent life was given on their behalf. And, and, you know, we say, well, I was just the lamb. But if you're the lamb, that's significant, isn't it? Something died for them to live. And that blood, God says, is a sign to the Lord that when he sees it, he passes over you. And when Israel saw the blood, it was a reminder that their sin cost a life, that a lamb died in their place, and they were covered, and they were passed over. And God did not see their sin when the angel of death passed through. He did not see their idolatry. He didn't see their rebellion. He didn't see their pride. What God saw was the blood. God saw the sacrifice. God saw the seal. God saw the sign. Death had already occurred in that house. Innocent life had already been taken, had already paid the price for their sin, and God was no longer against them, but in mercy and grace, he was for them, and he passed by them. And so it is with us who are in a relationship with Jesus today. When God looked at the cross and saw his son Jesus he saw the penalty for our sins being paid. And when he looks at my life and when he looks at your life, because we believed on Christ as our Savior, God doesn't see my sin. God sees his son. God sees the blood. He sees that my life, my heart, my soul, my spirit have been saved, cleansed, my sins have been, have been removed. He sees the sacrificial death of his son Jesus over my life christ's punishment and death and sacrifice releases me, sets me free from sin, sets me free from condemnation, sets me free from sin's control i 'm redeemed i 'm released i 'm delivered by the blood of christ first john one seven says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sin that 's powerful hebrews thirteen verse twelve says Jesus suffered to make people holy through his own blood. I was bound in my sin, folks. I was far from God. I was on my way to judgment and death and hell, but Christ died for me. A lamb, the lamb of God, the perfect, righteous son of God, gave his life for me. And I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I I, I don't know why God loves me so. I can't comprehend why he would do that for me. But I'm going to tell you this. I'm thankful for it. (laughs) I'm eternally blessed because of it. I'm grateful unto Jesus, my Savior. Joseph Parker was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon. And he said so powerfully, an extreme condition demands an extreme remedy. Until you see that you are doomed apart from Jesus Christ, you will never truly count his blood precious in your sight. I want to close with this. Let's talk about the blessing of restoration the blessing of restoration. So in Exodus 12, verse 2, when God institutes the Passover, he He says it's a new day. He says this is going to be the beginning of a new month, a new year. In Exodus 12, verse 2, it says this month shall be your beginning of the months, and it shall be the first month of the year to you. In so many words, the Passover season, the Passover time uh, made a, a new start a do-over, the month of redemption. And God says to the Hebrews, your whole life is about to change forever because of the Passover. You're going to be given a fresh start. You're going to be given a new identity. You're going to be given a new foundation. You're going to be given a new direction. Everything is going to be different. And when God passed over their homes, of those who had the blood covering the doorposts, they would be called then and there to leave Egypt And when they left Egypt, they were no longer slaves. When they left Egypt, they were no longer condemned. When they left Egypt, they were no longer in bondage, but they were free now under the lordship and the care and the ministry of Yahweh. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, God says, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And then they were set free. They had a new ruler. They had a new master. They were under the lordship of Yahweh. And they would begin this new life with their family, and they would embark on a new future, and they would take the blessing of the Passover, and they would celebrate that. They were supposed to. They were commanded to celebrate this from year to year to year. The Passover was not to be, was not to be forgotten. And I think about our relationship with Jesus Christ today. And isn't that, isn't that what we have today in Christ When we surrender our lives and and our souls and our hearts under him, when we believe on him, when we trust in him, when we receive the free gift of grace and his salvation, we are given a new life. We're given a fresh start. We're given a new identity. We are rescued. We are released. We are redeemed. We are restored. And folks, if you know Jesus today, you are never the same again, are you? Never the same. You're passed over You are pardoned. We've been brought into his family all because the blood of Christ. Now, the the beauty of the cross isn't that it ended there. The beauty of the cross is that Christ conquered the grave. Christ Christ rose from the grave and he conquered death and sin and gave us life everlasting. And now, now we get to enjoy life everlasting and restoration in his name. And we're not to forget We're not to forget what Jesus did for us either. And that's why we have communion together. We do this today in remembrance of Jesus. We do this to honor him. We do this to worship him. We do this to reflect on the sacrifice that Christ gave for us. We also do it to anticipate his return. Uh, The Apostle Paul said that we we should do this to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes We do this to testify the gospel of the gospel's work in our lives. We do this to share the message that I've been rescued. I've been redeemed. I've been released. I've been restored through relationship with Christ. And we do it together. That's why I love communion. It's not an isolated thing. We do this together as a body of believers to share his glory, to love on each other, and to remember what we have as a church through the power of the cross. And what an opportunity, what a great opportunity we have today to do just that. Before we do, um, you know, we're called in Scripture to examine ourselves. The reason that we examine ourselves before we take communion is because we don't, we don't want anything to hinder fellowship with God. You know, in, in, in Paul's day, people, people were dying. They were literally getting sick and dying because they were dishonoring the Lord's table. People would, would eat and drink in, in excess and gluttony. They, they, forgot, <clears throat> they forgot what Christ did for them. It was just another thing to do. And When we come together to do this, we're doing this for the right reasons. We should be doing this because Christ is our focus, our heart of worship. And, and to understand, to fully grasp what we're doing this morning, you've got to know Jesus as your Savior. And that's why, that's why I encourage you as you take communion today, if you don't know Christ, this has no effect in your life. You can't truly comprehend what Jesus has done for you if you drink the cup or eat the bread in an unworthy manner. So, I, so, so today, I'm telling you if, you, if you don't know Christ, or if you do know Christ and you're, and you're taking this in an unworthy manner, judgment be upon you. Scripture, scripture validates that. If you don't know Jesus today, you don't, you don't have these blessings that we've talked about, but you can. <coughs> you can be rescued. You can be redeemed. You can be restored. You can be released. You can be saved today. Let me pray for you. And as we pray together, we're going to have a time of reflection. And then after that, we'll have communion together to end out the service. Father, I pray that in the stillness of this moment, we would take very seriously and understand so much, Lord, what you did for us. If not for Christ, we don't have the gospel. If not for Christ, we don't have redemption. If not for Christ, we're not rescued. If not for Christ, we're not saved. If not for Christ, we don't have a church. If not for Christ, we don't have this fellowship and this communion. Everything that we do as a fellowship of believers hinges on the work of Jesus Christ. And God, I praise you today and I thank you today for sending your son to be our sacrificial lamb. The Passover was a symbol of what was to come for the the Hebrew people. The Passover was a symbol of what was to come for the world through relationship with Jesus Christ. God, we glory in the cross of Christ alone. We praise you for what was done on our behalf. And may we today truly understand and try to comprehend that you gave your very best. You gave your life for our ransom, for our freedom, for our salvation. Oh, forgive us, God, when we make light of the cross. Forgive us, God, when we make light of our sin. Forgive us, God, when we live in a way that's haphazard or unholy. Forgive us, God. When we make light of what Jesus did for us, I pray that we would be honest and real with you today. If there's something that's hindering true fellowship with you, if there's sin that needs to be repented of, if there, if there are things that we need to place at your feet and, and, and put under your blood, I pray, oh God, that we would do that today. And, and I know you're faithful. Your word says you are faithful to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, but we must confess our sins. And Father, I want to pray for those today that don't have peace with God. I pray for those that don't know Christ. I pray for those that do not benefit from the blessings that, we, that we've studied about and found in this text. And, and I pray, Lord, that if they don't know Jesus, that they would know Jesus right now. I pray that right where they're sitting, right where they're listening today, if they don't have a relationship with Christ, they can pray and receive and believe on Jesus right now. So if that's you this morning and you've never given your heart to Christ and you want to be saved, right where you are, you can just pray with me. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I thank you for sending Christ to be my sacrificial lamb. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that Jesus was raised to life. I believe that Jesus sits at the right hand of God. And I believe, I believe that through faith, through faith and by your grace, I can be saved. God, save me. I trust in you as my Lord. I trust in you as my Savior. I thank you for what you did so that I could be saved. In Jesus' name. As we go into this time of invitation and communion, Father, I pray that I pray that our church would, would reflect. And I pray that if they need to come and, and repent, if they need to come and give you, Lord, sin, if, if they need to come today, Um, with thanksgiving and, and praise you for what they have in christ i pray that they would not be reserved in any way i pray god that we would praise you and thank you for what we have in a relationship with jesus would you bless this time of communion in jesus name amen would you respond if you need to today in obedience if you if you need to come to faith in christ if you need to respond to this message in any way you're certainly welcome to come to this altar and pray Robbie's going to play as we have a time of reflection and you come as God leads. Just be obedient.